Eagles Entertainment. With the 13th pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by Life Friend. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. The All-Star Games are done. Super Bowl Sunday is upon us, which means the Combine is just around the corner. We've got new mock drafts to cover. We've got a new segment debut. Uh, it's a busy time here at the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by Life Brand. Obviously, with it being Super Bowl week, uh, scheduling got a little crazy. Dane Brugger coming off the road from the Senior Bowl. Didn't want to push the issue with two episodes, so I thought, let's make one giant episode here to drop in the middle of the week. So uh, I mentioned the debuting of a, of a return segment here, I should say, uh, here on the show. And that's because we are now starting this week, our ep- weekly segment segment with Greg Cosell. He makes his triumphant return to the podcast for Pick 6, where Greg and I go through six players that he's studied so far on tape, two players from three different positions, and a lot of big picture talk. So we get there, kind of wet your whistle as the combine inches closer and closer with Greg's analysis. Then we've got Saturday scouting, Ben Fennell. We've got five players that stood out to him from Senior Bowl practice film, and we're going to break down Lance Zerline's new mock draft that just dropped yesterday as we're recording this over on NFL.com. We'll break that down with Ben in Saturday's scouting. Then for Mr. Relevant, Emery Hunt from Football Game Plan. He's home finally uh, after being on the road for a couple of months now from all of these All-Star games. So we're so lucky to get Emery here on the show for a few minutes uh, just to get his thoughts on his last two stops. First in Vegas for the Shrine Bowl, then in Mobile for the Senior Bowl. What were Emery's big takeaways from those two trips? We'll hit on that as we wrap up today's episode of the show. As always, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, leave us a rating, leave us a question, a mock draft, rankings, whatever Whatever it is, you leave it there. We'll address it here in an upcoming episode. That said, let's get to Greg Cosell. It's time now for Pick 6. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, so joining us here for the first time here in 2023 for our Picks 6 segment, which will be a weekly segment here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand, my friend, Greg Cosell, who is hard at work in the film room. The NFL season has ended, which means uh, we are now in college player evaluation mode for Mr. Greg Cosell at NFL Films. Greg, uh, your, your thoughts going into this process now full time? <laughs> well, first I have to go to the Super Bowl, Fran, of course. Sure. And, uh, you know, then I'll watch, obviously, the Super Bowl tape. And we'll see, uh, hoping for an Eagles victory, of course, as I know you are. Sure. Um, and then I'll watch that tape when I get back from Phoenix and then, uh, you know, get right back to this. But because I'm done with, the, you know, the matchup show, except for our shoot out in Arizona, we always shoot the day before the game. You know, all that work is essentially done. You know, I've been starting to grind away watching college players. And, uh, you know, just like you, you know, you end up watching more than you think you're going to watch. You, know, you yeah. start watching a guy and all of a sudden it's, well, I need to see a little more of that guy. So you just, you know, I- I'm at that stage. You start to get wrapped up. Well, and so our goal in this segment every single week, you're going to do six players every week. It'll be pick six, and we'll pick six players for you to study uh, or to give your thoughts on that you have studied. And it'll always typically be pretty thematic. Sometimes it'll be a theme will cover all six players. Sometimes we'll try and group players together by position. That's kind of how we're going to jump in with this one is we're going to do two players from three different positions. We'll kind of uh, juxtapose the guys next to each other, and we'll start with one of the top seniors at his position, and that's Zay Flowers from Boston College. Uh, basically, from everybody's uh, point of view, the best player at the East-West Shrine Bowl last week in Las Vegas. Uh, Greg, this is a guy that you and I, I believe, I'm pretty sure you've studied him in years past as well. I know I that I have. So I want to get your thoughts here on Boston College wide receiver Zay Flowers. 
I've actually seen all of its past targets from 2020, 2021, and 2022. So I've seen a lot of snaps. And I really like Zay Flowers. Um, you know, it's interesting what you said about uh, the East-West Shrine because, you know, his name wasn't really cropping up a whole lot, and now it is. And when I watched his tape and I finished him, oh, maybe last week, um, I think he's got route quickness. I think he's got separation quickness. Um, I think he's got burst. You know, for a smaller receiver, we do have his measurables because he was at East-West, 5'9 and a quarter, 182. Um, but I thought he... he defeated press coverage on tape, both from outside and in the slot. He's got accelerating speed to get on top of the coverage. Um, I really liked him a lot. I think he can work effectively at all three levels. He's multi multi-locational within an offense. You can line him up anywhere. Um, I came away, and you know, you know, I don't necessarily think in terms of where guys get drafted, but you know, before I started to see mocks, and this was before the East-West Shrine, because that's when I finished him, I said that he'll be a top 40 pick in the NFL draft and could easily be selected late in the first round. I, I really liked his tape a lot. Yeah, I mean, that's. I think the one big question will be his size. You, know, you mentioned 5'9", yep. 182 are confirmed measurables. Uh, came in with really short arms, got undersized hands. So, like, across the board, size is going to be a question. But I agree that you're, you're checking a lot of boxes with Zay Flowers. Yep. Now, yeah, like, he can impact – all three levels uh, as a route runner. He's got speed to take you over the top. He can make plays in space uh, after the catch. You can use him in yeah. some gadgety ways. He can win outside and inside, and that's a very valuable piece in today's NFL. That's going to be something that uh, offensive coordinators are looking for to include into their offense. I mean, couldn't you see him plopped right into the Chiefs' offense or the Dolphins' offense just among two teams right. and, and, and fit beautifully, you know, the way those teams run offense? And those are only two teams, you know, if we really thought about it, which we won't right now, but you could – absolutely think of others you know I think as you said today's NFL that's the key phrase you know and in fact my first statement in my transition was his tape showed a very intriguing prospect whose traits profile and formation versatility fits today's NFL game and mm -hmm. I think that's the key factor you see guys lining up all over you see guys lining up in the backfield you know so I think he clearly fits the the five nine and a corner one eighty two to me is not as big a factor as, as if we were having this conversation ten or fifteen years ago. Right, and that's what's going to be interesting to compare him to the next player that we're going to talk about here, and that's um, Quentin Johnson from TCU, one of the more productive players when he was healthy this season. Where his fit, I think, is a little bit more streamlined when you look at yeah. him transitioning to the NFL. Right, I mean, he's a bigger-bodied receiver, per, per, uh, primarily a perimeter player in that offense. I want to get your thoughts on Quentin Johnson because he is viewed by most as a top 15, top 20 pick in this draft. Yeah, and, and you know why. 6'3 and a half, 215 is approximately what he'll be. Yep. Um, he's smooth, he's fluid, he's got size, he's got speed. Um, you know, he struck me as a guy that's at his best as a movement receiver, meaning vertical routes, post routes, over routes, shallow and intermediate crossers, where his stride length and play speed could generate separation. You know, I think his stride length is a significant trait. You know, I learned that years and years ago when I started to get guys wrong who were big guys, and I said, well, they're not really that fast, and then they'd get to the NFL, and because they could eat up ground with their stride length, they became vertical players. Um, and I think that's a big factor for him because it can break down the cushion of off-coverage corners. He can run away from corners on both horizontal and vertical routes. Um, he's got pretty easy and effortless acceleration. Um you know, the question to me is, 
does that make him a complete receiving prospect? Now, when you're six three and a half and two fifteen with vertical ability, you know that that gets people excited. Yep. So I'm not saying he's not a good prospect. I'm just curious as to whether he can develop into a you know a more complete receiver. Is he that true number one? Are we going to be talking about him two years from now as a Justin Jefferson, Devonta Adams, Jamar Chase? Um, or is he going to be looked at as more of a number, you know, a 1A or a 2 because, you know, he ends up being kind of specific in the routes that he's going to run? And that's the thing is that, you know, I think when you look at recent draft history in the last, you know, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10 years, right, there's a bunch of players that have gotten drafted in the top 40 picks that have this kind of skill set that come from this kind of offense and were asked to do yep. What he did, you know, he's 6'4", 215, like you mentioned. He's probably going to be in the low 4'4s. He's going to jump out of the gym. He's going to have all the measurables that you look for. Yes. And there's a lot to like. You know, there's a lot to like on his film, but there are also major questions in terms of uh, the 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 uh, variety of of routes that he can run right now. What is he going to be able to do three years from now, two years from now? And you know, is he going to be DK Metcalf or is he going to be Kevin White? Right? There there are all those. There's no uh, question. There's plenty of examples of both of that and. That's where ultimately that's the the limitation of the tape is not knowing us us not knowing Quentin Johnson as a person limits our ability to kind of make that projection. And that'll be in the eyes of the beholder. You know, different teams will see him differently. You know, he's long. He's a little high cut. That at times limited his ability to make sharp cuts and separate the top of his route stem, which is the reason I said he's best on movement routes. So. You know, it just raises some questions. But as you and I know, we've been doing this for a while, Fran, and, you know, we've had many conversations over the years. When you're 6'4", give or take, and you're 215, and he'll likely run, you know, he's not going to be a 4'3'2 guy, but he's certainly going to run well um, because he does have stride length. Um, you know, those guys get people excited as to what they could be in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, that's the what will be fascinating is what where he ends up, you know, what is the usage in year one? And my guess is, is that they, you know, ideally that usage in year one is going to change by year two, change by year three with Pretty added well. development as he can expand uh, what he can do. But that's the that will take it. That's a two way street. Brandon, right? You know, this is getting a little crazy. We think way too much alike because here's what I typed in my transition. One of the things I said, and you just already suggested, I said the question will be, what can Johnston develop into two, three, four years down the road? Yeah. And I think that's really the question with him because he's not a complete receiver at this point, but the, the physical profile is very, very appealing. Mm. Yeah, we talked about that after, um, I think it was the Michigan game. He took a, a short pass on like third and long, and you saw the acceleration in the open field. Yeah, yeah, and you're like, you know, guys that are 6'4", 215, the, the, that move that way, that have that acceleration after the catch, uh, they, don't, they don't grow on trees. And so um, no. you know, that's, that, that's, a, that's a tough guy to find. It will be very interesting to see how he ultimately is viewed. As but, you know, I remember, through. and I'm not comparing him to this guy, but you'll remember this guy. I think it was Stephen Hill out of Georgia Tech. You remember yeah, him? That's the, the triple option receiver, yep, who blew the and, doors off the combine workout. Oh, blew the doors off the combine. The Jets drafted him in the first round. And, again, I'm not, I don't want people to think this is apples to apples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Johnston could end up being great. That's not the point I'm trying to make, but there's always receivers that have a wonderful profile and blow it up at the combine and end up not being great NFL receivers. 
Yeah, it's um, it's going to be fascinating because again, there's there's plenty of uh, of uh, cases on both sides of the coin at this point because of how many receivers with this kind of skill set have come out. And I, I do think there are a lot of guys in this class that we will say, yeah, like height, weight, speed off the charts, and just yeah. not a finished product yet. Yeah, there are a bunch of them here, and Quentin Johnson certainly uh, right now at the top of that board. Let's uh, no, go to the uh, the defensive uh, side of the football. We'll go to the trenches. I want to ask you about a guy that um, Jim Nagy brought up a couple weeks ago here on the show as a player that he felt was going to get a lot of buzz coming out of Senior Bowl week. We talked with Dane Brugler in the last episode about what he saw from Georgia Tech's Keon White, converted tight end, who at Old Dominion made the move to defensive line, then transferred to Georgia Tech, missed most of the 2021 season, then came back here this year. And I thought he was really intriguing on film. I'm interested to get your take. Yeah, um, he's a powerfully built man. I mean, he plays with strength, leverage, power. I mean, you saw many snaps with active, violent hands. He's got a strong lower half. He could control and displace O-linemen. That's what his game is built on, strength and power, far more than athleticism, twitch, and suddenness. I think as a pass rusher, he's raw, unrefined at this point. He almost always featured speed to power. He doesn't really have any counters. Um, I thought he was more effective rushing the quarterback from the inside, working against guards and centers. Um, you know, I think he's uh, project's too strong a word, you know, and it's thrown around too often. But you know, what is he to start his career? Yeah. I almost feel like in base fronts, he would project project best as kind of a five technique or a four eye, or like if you put him in the Eagles front, to me, he's not an edge player. Um, if you put him in a 4-3 front, I think he's more of like a strong side D end. Um, so the question is, what can he become down the road? Yeah. Um, is he a couple of the guys I thought of? You know, is he is he a Danico Autry type right. who can play a five technique or an outside linebacker in base fronts and then shift inside and sub fronts as a pass rusher, or? Do people down the road, and I, the player I'm about to mention is really good, but I'm sure there are some who see him this way, is is two, three, four years down the road, is he a Cam Jordan type of player right. whose game is defined by strength and power with more than enough functional athleticism, but not necessarily a, a bendy, flexible guy, yeah. you know, and I think he'll be somewhat polarizing in draft rooms because of that. Yeah, I mean, he's got really good length, uh, you know, and he's he's got some natural power to him, like you mentioned. I mean, the, some of that explosive traits you see uh, with him on tape are, are kind of freaky. And for a guy that uh, is that size to have some of those movement skills, it took me. It takes me to, like, what I love so much about Milton Williams when he was coming out a couple of years ago out of Louisiana Tech, and, and there's that versatility aspect to it where depending on the scheme that you play, it's like you mentioned, you know, for the, uh, let's say, the San Francisco 49ers, who the Eagles beat a couple weeks ago in the NFC title game, how they would view him would be different than say how the Philadelphia Eagles would view no question. Wide, right and so like the, the way that you utilize your front uh, are you a multiple scheme where you know sometimes you're in an odd front sometimes you're in an even front all right well then you could find a role as a role player for Keon White right now much like what Milton Williams has been the last two years but if you play the way San Francisco does or the way the Jets do then maybe on early day he's like a backup on early downs on the edge and then when you get into your sub if he can earn these reps well now he's kicking inside and he's rushing against guards and centers uh, and you like that he can be kind of like a demon for you on third down. That's yeah, and, good for early. And because he's 280, that's a big man. Um, yeah. But, and, and what I found interesting, I thought he was fast in a straight line. Like it would not surprise me if his 40 time blows people away at 280. Yeah. Yep. That would not surprise me at all. Yep. But, 
he did not have very good change of direction and redirect. Mm-hmm. And there were times he was out of control because of it. And yeah. that's why he wasn't really a good pass rusher. Because I think, you know, he made some plays where he ran people down. And a 280, Fran, as you know, you went, wow, that is yeah. really yeah. good straight line speed. But as far as his core, he was stiff. You know, he wasn't flexible. Mm-hmm. So he's he's a guy that two things i'm going to be fascinated to see who drafts him or i should say where he's drafted and who drafts him and then how they see him initially early in his career yeah the one aspect you know when I, talk, I made the comparison to milton williams when milton was coming out of louisiana tech if i remember he was a third right, round pick by was, the way he, he was a third round pick and if i remember right i'm pretty sure he was going to be he's tw- a young guy he was a, a junior i believe he was going to be a 21 year old rookie keon white this was his fifth year he's going to be a 24 year old rookie and so if you're saying okay well it's going to take a, he's a year away from being a year away kind of thing well now all right well what are we talking about in terms of long long longevity and uh you know right. what, what he can be down the road so it's going to be a, an interesting discussion there with keon white Let's stay along the defensive line here. Talk about a guy that is viewed almost universally as a top 10, top 12 pick uh, in this class, and I think can be used in similar kind of ways, I think, with, as Keon White, and that's Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech. Yeah, Wilson's an interesting guy because Wilson is one of those guys that you look at him and you see the size and the length. His arm length is ridiculous. His wingspan is ridiculous. Um, he's got that desirable size, length, athleticism, alignment, versatility profile. That really fits well. He's got imposing size, imposing length. Um, you know, I think his game right now is built more on strength and power and relentlessness. But there's, I'd say there are flashes of bend and flexibility to lead you to believe that he could become a more complete edge player um, that could win both speed to power and quickness to clear the arc and counter. But to me, that's a work in progress at this point. I thought there were two things that were concerning to me watching his tape. One, he was almost always laid off the snap, Fran. Mm. Almost always. And, you know, I'm not a D-line coach. Uh, I don't know if you've had this conversation with D-line coaches. You know, you're you're in the building at the Eagles. I'm not. Um, I don't know how fixable that is. I, you know, theoretically, is it fixable? Yes. But, you know, it, it, it was almost all the time. I'm sure you saw it as well. Yeah, it was um, one of the first things on my on my, uh, on my notes. Yeah. Looking back at it from the summer. And, and, and then he would align far too upright in his two-point stance, and what that necessitated was knee bend and false snaps at the, at the st- snap, so that also made him late. So again, are steps coachable? They are, um, but it would lead him to come off the ball too high, and that would negate his strength and power. Um, the other concern at this point, but again, coachable, were his lack of counters and secondary moves. He really... Yeah. There were too many pass rush moves in which he just got stuck on the offensive tackle with no response. So you're dealing with a high-level, you know, traits guy. You know, if you start making comparisons, which we all do, here are some guys who who popped into my head whose uh, measurables and traits were similar, okay? Okay. Trayvon Walker, Joe Tryon, Marcus Davenport, Jason Pierre-Paul, Carlos Dunlap. All similar in terms of physical dimensions and traits to some degree. 
Yep. Do, do you think that he moves as well as those guys? Like we talk about how Lady is off the ball, and I guess that's where I get hung up at times with Tyree Wilson is that you, the, the size, I mean, the dimensions are absolutely there. He looks the part. He, he looks outstanding. But like uh, with just the, the juice out of his stance, like, I don't know that he quite has the, that same level of explosiveness that we saw from a lot of those guys, you know, the, the walkers, uh, you know, even, even the Dunlaps coming out. Um, you know, Dunlap was a monster uh, when, he, when he was coming out of college. I, uh, that's, I would, uh, that's I would tend to agree, but I mean, you know, he doesn't have, I would say that he doesn't have the this, this suddenness and twitch off the ball, certainly as a pass rusher. So, right. yeah, there's, like, for instance, I know he was the last pick in the first round, but I loved Joe Tryon, and I, yeah. and, you know, I think he dropped because he did not play he in the COVID play. year, yep. and I think if he played, he would have been a top 15, top 18 pick. Personally, that's my opinion, but I think, yeah, you know, He's probably going to be drafted high because he's six five and a half. He's two seventy five. Like we said, the arm length, the wingspan. He shows enough just from a, a an athletic trait standpoint, and you go, wow, there could be a lot there. But you you know how I do this. I do strengths, weaknesses, transition. I had a lot of things in my weaknesses uh, category. I, you know, yeah. I, to me, he was not like an oh my god, he's a top five guy, no questions asked. Mm. Yeah, uh, it's going to be a fascinating discussion with him as yeah. we go through the, uh, especially a couple, if we're only a couple of weeks away from the combine. It will be very interesting to see what yeah. he, what he looks like. Uh, uh, defensive linemen are the first group to work out, so we'll get those numbers uh, very, very quickly uh, on Tyree Wilson. Let's go, Tajay Spears, running back. Let's go to the running ah. back spot. Uh, and Spears was one of the uh, the guys that everybody was buzzing about leaving Mobile uh, for the Senior Bowl. Um, yeah, I want to get your thoughts here on this guy because you know, Redshirt Junior had a huge year uh, for Tulane this year. It was the AAC Offensive Player of the Year first team all-conference, um, goes down to Mobile and has a good week. And again, it's in those all-star game settings, it could be tough for running backs to kind of set themselves apart. And Spears uh, clearly did that in Mobile last week. I watched six games of Spears, okay, and, and, and a number of other things because I wanted to see him as a receiver as well. Um, I really like Tajay Spears. You know, now you're getting caught up in what is he in the NFL, okay? How will teams see him being utilized and deployed? Um I think he's he had a really desirable combination of patience and decisiveness. He had really explosive short area burst. He had accelerating speed. I thought there was a gliding, darting feel to his running. I thought he was loose-hipped. He had great lateral agility. The balance and the body control I thought was outstanding working through traffic. I mean, and he ran hard. You know, I kept watching and watching, saying to myself, gee, he's not really powerful, but man, he moved the pile. He 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 never went backwards. Um, he had sustaining running traits. Um, you know, he could he he had strength to maintain balance. He had some power to shock the pile and generate hard-earned yards. Fran, mm. um, I thought he was a good receiver. Um, I tell you, I finished watching him, and you know who he kind of reminded me of? Who's that? DeAndre Swift. Wow. Okay. Nice. I like that. I really like Tajay Spears a lot. Yeah. He um. You know, I've said this in the pod in the last couple of weeks. I studied him for the first time. It was like uh, three or four weeks ago. And I thought that he just had a, a feel at the second level. There are some guys when they get up to I space like, looking for looking for contact. And it's like, where's the first guy that I have to make miss? Um, with Spears, he's not looking for, for the guy. He's looking for the end zone. He just always yeah. finds a way uh, to just find that crease. And there's kind of like an intangible quality to that um, that's tough to quantify. But Spears, he's, he's got a nose for it. He's, he's a fun player. He's a playmaker, both as a runner yeah. and as a pass catcher. 
you know, I almost felt like there was not really a weakness to his game yeah. unless, you know, people will look at, at his size and size, because yep. he's 204 and then he probably gained a few pounds. You know, it struck me he probably wasn't quite 204 right. watching his tape. Right. You know, so so he may not be viewed of as a quote unquote foundation back, but I think that it depends on team. Like I think he's a rotational starter early in his career and depending on team, he has the chance to develop into a primary back. You're getting into team and scheme. You know, obviously if, if he, a team that wants that one back to carry 20 times a game, he's probably not that guy, but you know, I, I, I really like Tajay Spears and I, I knew nothing about him other than, his name, you know, because Tulane had a really good season. Yep. And in fact, if, if this was a year of the expanded bowl thing, he, they would have been in it. Yep. But um, uh, but I so I knew his name and I knew he had a good year. But until the senior ball, I really didn't know much about him at all. And I really enjoyed watching his tape. I, I, he's a super competitive kid. And, and that, that change of direction, that burst, he was a fun watch. You mentioned just the, the ability to be a primary back down the road. I think that he showed enough in pass pro to really make me say, okay, yeah. uh, he definitely has that ability to be a three down back. Um, let me ask you last question here, or last player here, Jameer Gibbs, uh, Alabama. Yeah. Some, some of you may be a first-round pick. Uh, what say you there on Jameer Gibbs? Jameer Gibbs is, I mean, he's he's a really sudden explosive runner. I mean, he can make sharp, decisive cuts at speed. He's got balance and body control. And he's got juice, man. He run. He can run away from people. And he is a terrific, terrific receiver. Yeah. Um, I first took note of him when last year at Georgia Tech, um, I watched all of his runs and, and pass targets, and I came away thinking to myself, you know, this guy could be the best running back prospect in the draft. And mm-hmm. I know that B. John Robinson is considered that guy now. I have, I need to do more work on him. I watched him last summer. I haven't gotten to him yet. You know, it's obviously, you know, you and I so are one-man right. scouting services. So yeah. You, yeah, I can't, you know, hey, th- th- we're just starting this. So, yep. you know, I don't want people to think, I don't think B. John Robinson is a good prospect. I just haven't gotten to him yet. But, man, I think Gibbs brings a sustaining and explosive element to an NFL offense. I mean, he's a really good runner. He can take it to the house anytime. His receiving traits are, are high level. Um, he's a three-down back. I mean, to me, Jameer Gibbs is a big-time prospect. Yeah, when you talk about, uh, you know, just the again, I think we get into that same discussion with him that we talk about, with, what we were talking about with Spears, is that I think the big question people will have, you know, is that size? Can he be a three-down player? Do you have any kind of concerns whatsoever based off uh, your film study about his ability to kind of handle? He's not going to be a foundation guy, I guess, you know, over the course of uh, an entire season, but um, uh, enough there to be a, a primary ball carrier. Without question. Again, yeah. team and scheme. I mean, yep. I mean, here, you take a look at this, Okay. Look at the 49ers. Don't most of us think, wow, McCaffrey's, you know, kind of a big-time number one back? Right, yep. I think he only carried, and someone can check me on this, I think he only carried 20 times once since he became a 49er. You know, there's very few teams now in this league that every week have a, a back that is carrying 20, 22 times. You know, there's not a lot of... Derrick Henry's, and there's not a lot of teams that play that way. So when you talk about a number one back, I think that's relative to teams and how they play. I think he can be your quote-unquote primary back who can have 16 carries and, you know, and seven pass targets, and I think he'd be fine in that role. And he'd be, and I think, look, you know, I know the name that's thrown out a lot and is Alvin Kamara, and I think he sort of falls into that category. 
Yeah, it, uh, Gibbs is, is going to be a fascinating study. Um, you know, and one of the guys that I, I think could be—he's going to be in the discussion there certainly uh, when you get into the end of round one. Well, Greg, uh, this was fun—a fun little dive here into your film study. Six players down. Uh, we'll do another six next week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, presented by LifeBrand. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. It's time for Saturday scouting. All right, joining us now to give his thoughts on what he saw from the practice tape of the Senior Bowl and break down another mock draft, my friend Ben Fennell. Ben, um, before we get into Lance Erline's mock draft, which just dropped on Tuesday over at NFL.com, let's now break down, uh, you know, you've had time to go through the Senior Bowl practice tape, uh, not down there in Mobile, Alabama, but all the tape uh, at our fingertips now. So I wanted to ask you, five guys that stood out most to you, you've watched back team periods, one-on-one sessions, individual periods. Uh, Number one, I don't know if this is in any particular order or not but uh number one off the top who's the number one guy who stood out and this is purely the tape talking to me yes. so i didn't go in with any preconceived notions or guys i wanted to hype up or profile i just put on the tape went through each period and took, took some notes so the first guy that really stood out to me was one of the late call-ups and that's linebacker safety nickel Marte Bampu coming from Sacramento State. He was a call-up, I believe, from the NFL PA game. I actually watched his tape in the lead-up to the week. Huge hitter out there. He's a long nickel player uh, out in the slot for uh, Sacramento State. Measured in at over 6'2", over an 80-inch wingspan, 217. Played linebacker a lot of the week. A lot of will linebackers still played some safety stuff. He looked great out there. He had great range, triggered downhill quickly, looked very comfortable in coverage, not only in underneath zones, but turning and running with tight ends down the seams or buzzing out to the flat and mirroring running backs. We saw his nice one-on-one rep against Eric Gray uh, in late in one of the team periods. He was hustling. I think there was a play. It was a 30- or 40-yard catch down the field. He hustled and ran down the receiver and poked the ball out late. Nobody really saw it. A bunch of coaches came up to him and gave him some props afterwards. Really nice play. Took on a lead blocker a few times, and Braden Willis blew up those plays. He had a PBU on a play-action concept where he had to bite on the run and then get backwards very early in the week. He really impressed me for a guy that got the late call-up from a smaller school, changing positions essentially. He had himself a nice week, friend. All right, so this is always the interesting part when it comes to the Senior Bowl and really all, all the All-Star games, right, is separating what do we see in practice. We could say, like, a guy had a great week in practice, but what does that mean for his transition? What does what that ultimately – what does he look like going to the NFL? So let me ask you a separate part to this now when it comes to Bartu. How do you – you talk about how great the week was – when you look at him big picture, how do you see him making the jump? Because I actually have not studied him on tape yet, so I want to get your thoughts there. You know, I, I like the oversized nickel. I like that third safety coming down in your sub packages. It's not a liability in the run. can be a physical presence, you know, out there in that halfway position, whether it's on blitzing, run support, blowing up the perimeter action. I don't want to move every big nickel safety to Will Linebacker. So I was impressed that, you know, he was willing to try it. I was impressed that he looked pretty good doing it. But I'm more than comfortable keeping a 6'3", 215-pound kid at safety. Mm-hmm. I think Derwin James checks those boxes, and no one's looking to move him into linebacker. It's just let's see how many places we could put him to make plays. So he's really athletic. He's rangy. He's tough. He's heavy on contact. Seems very instinctual and covers a lot of ground. I think he's an exciting piece for a variety of schemes. 
but I'm not playing him three down at, at will linebacker. Maybe give me a dime backer for me, but I'm going to play him out there in space and let him make some plays. Yeah, I guess that's the question. Is like old teams view him as like a sub player only? Is he like a big nickel or a dime guy? Or you know, can he be like Jalen Petrie last year, right? Where a guy yeah, that yep. you know, you know, he's that kind of player. I, but he's going to fly down on special teams. He could play a number of different hats for you. He could definitely be a third or a fourth safety nickel linebacker at the floor. So I really Love like that. his stock as far as a projection. Love that. All right. Well, who's number two for you? I'm going to go with tight end Payne Durham out okay. of Purdue, who I think is a excellent prospect in a very deep tight end class. And we'll dive into why it's deep and it's you know deep at the top through the middle and some interesting prospects down the backside. I thought Durham was a backside guy who's now working himself into the middle of that tight end class. He's a good-looking kid at 6'5", nearly 260, over 80-inch wingspan. This kid only played one year of high school football. He's still pretty new to football. I think in today's generation, these kids going to camps as eight-year-olds and you know specialized training and all that, you know, through a lot of their adolescence and intermediate school, early high school, he was a lacrosse player. So I think uh, you know him transitioning to football, he could still get better and better. He's a guy that had 14 touchdowns the last two years, trailing only the who's who in college football of you know Brock Bowers and Dalton Kincaid. 12 came in the red zone. But long story short, he looked great catching the football this week. He looked athletic. He looked big. He looked strong. And he looked pretty adequate in the run game as well. They ran a one-back power to his side where he was one-on-one, head up with defensive end. Pancaked him right inside and gave a touchdown lane to Cam Peoples and a really nice run in the high red zone. We all saw his highlight catches kind of going around Twitter and nice catch in the game, nice catch in one of the ending periods from Jake Hayner. I know Dane touched on last week. He's a really impressive athlete. I think he's getting better and better. A little high in the run game, a little raw with his hands at times, a little weak in the base. Um, I think he's like a maybe like a Dallas Goddard type of guy where I mm-hmm. think he's getting better and better, stronger and stronger. And what can't he do is kind of the questions. Yeah, I, I think when you're talking about like ceiling, it feels like Durham is one of those guys that certainly has that um, in terms of uh, you know looking at this tight end class. Because a lot of these guys you look at and you're like, all right, well, he could play right now, but the ceiling is capped. With yeah. him, I think you're talking about what he could be, and I think it's a realistic aspiration. You know, it's not like he's you know a, a 220 pound uh, wide receiver convert. I mean, this is a guy that's been a, a really accomplished tight end. You've talked about the red zone prowess with him and how productive yep. he's been uh, as a pass catcher over the course of his career with Purdue. But um, if you're saying that he can develop as a run blocker as well, oh, well, now you're cooking with gas. I'm excited to do a little There's bit. There's a bunch of guys like that in this class. Like, where do you put Sam Laporta? Where do you put a Davis yeah. Allen who's played a lot of ball for Clemson? Yep. Those guys are NFL ready, in my opinion. What type of draft capital is going to pull that trigger? Typically not, you know, high top 50 type of role. But I think guys like, you know, Nick Vanettes of the world that are great football players are going to go early day three and have themselves nice careers. All right, let's go number three. Who do you got? You know, I think we're going to go with two interior guys here. And I think John Michael Schmidt, you know, was the headliner as far as, um, you know, the cream of the crop of the week. And rightfully so, as great tape, high-level tape, showed up this week and locked everybody down. But pay attention to Steve Avila from TCU. He's played some tackle early in his career, but mostly a, a guard center prospect. Really stout, really light feet. Guy that can redirect really well, play in a variety of schemes, can play in space. And then Nick Broker out of Ole Miss. Played left tackle for a while. He's a very stout interior guy. Reminds me a lot of the way Nick Herbig played for us and now is a starter, a starting right guard for the Jets. He's just very stout, moves his feet exceptionally well, and gets movement in the run game. This guy is really nasty. And I, I know we all saw, I think it was John Michael Schmidt with the highlight and the screen 
where he kicked out Mar- uh, Marte Mapu, which Mapu did his job on that play by forcing the run back. Yeah. But Broker was the other guy that had the pancake down the field. He had a bunch of highlight plays throughout the week. I'm about to put a clip up on Twitter where it was Broker and John Michael Schmidt straight escorted the Cameron Young kid at Mississippi State five, six, seven yards off the ball in a double team. So I think Broker quietly had himself some nice reps, and he looks like an NFL player. Probably not going to spend top 100 draft capital on him, but in a class where the interior O-line is a little bit down, I think we're all calling it, I think Broker is an NFL caliber interior. I thought John Michael Schmitz looked like day one starter. I thought Steve Avila looked like day one starter. I didn't quite feel that way about Broker, but there are a lot of people you talk to uh, that will say, like, yeah, this guy's a future starter all day. And so to hear uh, him impress that way. Uh, he's a little in sloppy at times, yeah. but I think he's got some ability. I think yeah. he's, he's definitely got the size, got the strengths, got some positional flex as well. And he's heavy and strong. I can work with that. Yeah, no question. Let's go to uh, number four for you. Oof. Derek Hall, Fran. Oof. This guy really caught my attention on the film. He was blasting people at the point of attack, flying off the ball, incredibly wound up, very stout, high energy. He wants to ragdoll tight ends. When he sees a tight end over him, Fran, I think he gets insulted. He's buckling up his yeah. chin strap saying, oh, okay, we're doing this. I just put up a two-play sequence where he posted up Luke Musgrave, worked back inside, and popped Eric Gray right in the face. I don't think they expect him to meet him in the backfield like that. But Derek Hall is really powerful. He walked Darnell right back in a nice power move. The ball came out, so nobody really noticed it. But there's plays like that. Now, the interesting thing with Hall, he just needs to play a little bit more discipline. You want to run any sort of boot his way, you had all, all day. He had all the screens, all the play-action boot to his side, any sort of misdirection. He's taking that cheese the full way. I don't even think he was one that realized it halfway through the rep. He's just full go, one direction, linear. Needs to play a little smarter, a little more throttled down. We know you're strong, okay? Slow down just a little bit. Beat people up in a phone booth as well. He's a really interesting player, and I think working his way into a solidified top 50 selection. That's what I was just going to ask you. He's a pretty popular pick on like the back end, like you know, like what picks say 28 through 31 in mock drafts. Do you feel like uh, that's in the realm of possibilities for him? Yeah, he's got like an Arakpo kind of vibe to him, Ooh, and I, I like you that. know me, Fran. I love yeah. these guys that want to go right through you, A to B type of rushers. Love inside moves. Love power rushes. He ain't looking to speed rush or go around anybody. In fact, when he tries that, it's typically his worst rushes. Right. He gets kind of caught high side and gets blown out of the play. So he's a guy that's really strong and at times looks like a Brandon Graham, the way he's rocked up, a little undersized as far as height and length, but plays underneath everybody. He's a really tough, uh, tough block. A lot of pressure here for number five. Uh, who is the last name you want to bring up for the senior ball? And anyone else you don't name, you hate them officially. <laughs> Some really good receivers. I think Michael Wilson's gotten a lot of love yep. around, uh, you know, the Twitter sphere and some articles and Jaden Reed as well. Nathaniel Delfran, he is as quick as a hiccup out there. If you give him any room to operate, he is going to cook you. And he's getting better and better against press coverage. I'm getting a little bit more receptive to these undersized receivers. We're seeing them around the NFL. We're seeing them produced. Really impressed to see Hollywood Brown, his new role with the Arizona Cardinals. Huge fan of Tyler Lockett. He's in that kind of mix in there. Obviously, he's 168 pounds, and he's 5'8". This kid's electric. And I thought Houston did some great jobs and putting him in motion, putting him in stacks and bunches, getting him some free access that NFL offense coordinators do for their undersized receivers all the time. So don't put him outside the numbers. Expect him to beat big press corners every down. But if you find the right role for him in the right offense – I mean, he reminds me a lot of like, uh, you know, the way Quez Watkins, you know, came out of uh, UCF and, you know, can contribute for an NFL team. Probably not a one, two, three, 
but could be an explosive big play four or five receiver for a room. Hmm. Well, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he tests uh, as well at that size. That will be a big question for him. Uh, I was expecting him to test well, but he'll need to at that size, is I guess the way I should have phrased that. Um, let's round it out with our mock draft roundup, man. A, a good one here from Lance Zerline, NFL.com, just dropped on Tuesday. Anytime Lance drops stuff that's draft-related, uh, you know there's going to be some valuable nuggets in there. And we'll start uh, with the top five. And, you know, it's the, the chalk top four guys, we what we've come to expect. Chicago at number one, taking Georgia defensive tackle Jalen Carter. That seems to be the the Zoom pick by most mock drafters at this point in the process. Bryce Young, quarterback, Alabama. Uh, he mentioned there, um, uh, Lance did, that that's the fan favorite pick in Houston. Uh, he does Houston radio, so uh, very familiar with what Houston uh, is in tune for uh, doing in the draft. So Bryce Young to the uh, the Houston Texans at two. Will Anderson at number three to the Arizona Cardinals. C.J. Stroud, the quarterback uh, from Ohio State, going to the Indianapolis Colts at number four. And then at number five, Seattle taking edge rusher Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech. We just talked about him in the last segment with Greg Cosell. So that's how the top five went. Who did the Eagles take at number 10? Well, with the uh, a pick we have not seen yet, and this, this is just, it's, it's really fun to see uh, as we've gotten to this point in the process, Ben. The, who the Eagles are taking with this pick changes weekly. Everybody, that's a different name. It's, it's, it's really, really interesting from that standpoint. No universal thoughts here. In this mock draft, it's cornerback Devin Witherspoon from Illinois. And here's the blurb from Lance. Witherspoon is a highly confident ball-hawking corner with the type of energy that will fit right in with the Eagles and their fan base. So, Ben, uh, I believe you and I both really like Devin Witherspoon. I really liked his tape. Uh, What are your thoughts on him going this high? I could absolutely see this. I could see him being the first corner off the board. I could see him being a fit for Philadelphia at number 10 there. They're going to have their options of a number of different positions, and I don't think they're going to be too needy as far as uh, having to address any particular hole. As we know, our, or, our organization loves going into the draft ready to play a game. So I think Devin Witherspoon going to be a really nice pick. I'm not sure if he has to play or contribute fully as a rookie, uh, depending on the landscape or, of the defensive back room. But I can absolutely see this. Well, let's go to uh, the players that went off the board right around this slot to get a sense of, again, who's uh, hearing their name called right around this Eagles selection. At number seven, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders selecting quarterback Will Levis from Kentucky. At number eight, the Atlanta Falcons taking Arkansas linebacker Drew Sanders. At number nine, the Carolina Panthers selecting Georgia Tech defensive lineman Keon White. We talked about him in the last segment with Greg. Right after the Eagles picked, Northwestern left tackle Peter Skaronsky goes off the board to the Tennessee Titans. Houston takes wide receiver Jalen Hyatt, the wide receiver from Tennessee, at number 12. And then the New York Jets at number 13 take cornerback Brian Branch from Alabama. So, Ben, a, a lot of surprising picks there. And again, it's just, it's gonna be a really this is gonna be a really fun mock draft process, man. Until <laughs> things start to get crystallized in late March and early April. Um I don't know, my biggest surprise, like Drew Sanders at number eight. We haven't seen this that high. And I love the blurb from Lance uh, Lance there, too, is that, you know, they, they need linebacker help, but they also need pass rush help. This team has no juice off the edge and is constantly looking for that. And, you know, he thinks that Sanders can help in that arena as well. You know, Drew Sanders is a guy compared to Troy Anderson that came out of Montana State last year. Went to the Falcons. I believe went to the Falcons. Yeah, so right, kind of interesting good one. comparison yeah. there. A little early, you know, for me with Drew Sanders. And he's a really interesting linebacker, sub-rusher, really athletic and a you know, high-energy guy, smart kid, Alabama transfer, don't forget, guys. Had to step in pretty early to replace uh, who got hurt off the edge. Was it Chris Smith that year? Yes, I believe so, yep. Uh, but anyways, a little rich for my blood. I see him more as a mid-day two type of pick, but I think he's going to gain some steam through the combine process and pro days as he's going to test through the roof and uh, look pretty good in shorts and a t-shirt just like Troy Anderson. 
Most surprising for me was probably Jalen Jalen Hyatt being mm-hmm. receiver one. And I know he was the Blitnikoff winner that you give to the best receiver. I just do not see a first-round complete receiver right here. I see just kind of a Will Fuller type where he's going to win over the top. And he's not even a guy that wins particularly you know, well underneath. I know he has some slants and goes, but caught one screen pass. One out of 17 screen passes this year, one over 20 yards. Hmm. So he hasn't been a guy to show any sort of real toughness or physicality as far as breaking tackles or creativity. A lot of it is just slants and just sprints right through the defense. We know he can run. Haven't seen him too successful against press coverage. Needs stack releases. Needs switch releases. Needs room to operate. Receiver one in this class after what Jordan Addison did. After you know seeing the diverse playmaking of a Zay Flowers or maybe more of a size player and a Quentin Johnston. Jalen Hyatt's a nice player, but receiver one to go to Houston Texans that need more offensive firepower that have a Brandon Cooks, you know, on that roster. I know they're kind of working on getting him out of town there. But, yeah, I like him as an offense, just not as the best receiver in this class. Yeah, it's going to be a really fascinating discussion with a lot of these players and how they're, you know, I I just feel like – We'll we'll get into this because I I think there's an interesting discussion to be had here with this draft class in particular. That that whole pack of six, I don't really – I mean, Peter Skaronsky, I love the Titans. He's one of the more ready players, in my opinion, probably a guard. Love Brian Branch, can probably play six positions on the back end. But Will Levis, I think – And he listed him at corner, too. uh, Yeah, I think Will Levis is a a third-round grade. Drew Sanders is a day-two pick. Keon White, I think, is a day-two pick. Jalen Hyatt is a pure speed guy. I have a major issue with a lot of these six here, but I think this is the nature of this draft. I think if you have a second-round grade on people in this draft, start considering them in the first. I think that's just kind of the nature of this pool, and that's what makes the mock drafts and the projections kind of all over the place right now. Well, and that's why I've never been a big fan in, like, ascribing, like, uh, round grades to players because, oh, if, I, if this guy's a third-round grade, but he's going to go in the first round, or this guy's a second-round grade, but he's going to go in the first round, like, well, why, why do I call it a second-round grade? You know, right? That's I've always struggled with that um, personally. But um, let me ask you this because you actually uh, transitioned to this player pretty well. You talked about Jalen Hyatt winning the Blitnikoff this year, and you mentioned Jordan Addison. Well, well, just so happens that that is the Eagles pick here in the with their second pick in the first round, the 31st overall selection. Um, and here's the blurb from Lance said, like Devontae Smith, Jordan Addison is a th- thin framed wide out with outstanding ball skills. Adding Addison to the Eagles receiver room will force defenses into even more pick your poison scenarios. Um, Ben, thoughts on Addison here at this stage in the first round? And honestly, this is becoming an increasingly popular idea for mock drafters is the Eagles taking a wide receiver with this selection. Yeah, I think the wide receiver addition surprised me a little bit, but I'm not going to you know shy away from adding more offensive firepower uh, to this offense. But Jordan Addison, I, I have as a combination of like a Tyler Lockett and Calvin Ridley, maybe a little bit small, a little bit frail, but a guy that can win at all three levels, exceptional separator, exceptional ball catcher, whether it's contested or just tracking and winning down the field. I think he's an uh, incredible player. My receiver one in this class. Right now he's receiver three, according to the pecking order of Lance with Quentin Johnson going to the Ravens in the middle there. Jordan Addison at 31 I think is a great pick. And you find an offense where he doesn't have to be an alpha dog, I think that's the perfect role for Jordan Addison. Let A.J. Brown and Devonta maybe take some coverage, and Jordan Addison can be that slot presence or that guy over the middle of the field or maybe that, you know, new age, you know, kind of Quez Watkins, Zach Paschal, and being that next uh, receiver in the pecking order. 
Yeah, and it's funny, you know, years ago, maybe like two years ago, uh, I would have looked at a player like Jordan Addison exactly like what you just said. It's like, oh, like I don't know if he's an alpha receiver, and I don't know if I want to take an alpha re- or a non-alpha receiver in the first round. But with the way the, that, that contracts have ballooned at that position, those guys that are non-alpha receivers are going to be getting a lot of money. And so now I'm more willing to say, okay, you could take that guy at the end of round one, and it's going to be seen as a value by the time you get to year three, year four, year five of that contract uh, compared to what guys of that caliber are going to be making around the veteran market. You know, with the Eagles in the Super Bowl this week, there's been a lot of back padding to Howie Roseman and this roster construction. What's been like 1 or 1A as far as the compliment to Howie Roseman? Addressing the trenches, the trenches, the trenches, the line of scrimmage, both sides. Going with Devin Witherspoon and Jordan Addison here in the first round, their two first round picks. Not typically the style of the Eagles, so I would think they're going to go right back to the offensive line and the D-line with both these picks. Mm. But I think there's going to be some guys like a Witherspoon and Addison to consider out there, but don't neglect that offensive line, the trenches, the edge rushers, the tackles of the future. It's typically the Eagles' style to keep going back to the well. But that's what's what's funny about it too is that you know mentioned I feel like wide receivers becoming more uh, common to see in mock drafts to the Eagles in this spot at thirty or thirty one wherever the the mock drafter has them at and uh, I think it's because people are like okay like we know like the Eagles don't address linebacker or running back in the first round so we're gonna stop doing that all right what else can we plug them all right let's give them a receiver oh that'll be fun all right that's it's just funny how uh, that kind of works out um, the six players that went off the board right around this so uh, at twenty five the Giants taking Clemson linebacker Trenton Simpson the Cowboys at twenty six taking Deontay Banks, the corner from Maryland. We've seen that a couple times in the last couple weeks. Bijan Robinson, the running back from Texas, he goes to the Buffalo Bills at 27. At 28, we said this last week after Mel Kuyper did it, uh, that we're going to start to see Kalaja Kansi in more mock drafts. Kansi going at 28 to the Cincinnati Bengals. At 29, the New Orleans Saints selecting Clemson defensive end Miles Murphy. He'd be in a very uh, uh, popular pick to the Eagles at that top 10 pick, him falling all the way to 29, I think is notable here for Lance. And then at number 30, there's your boy Derek Hall, the Auburn defensive then he goes off the board to the Kansas City Chiefs. So, Ben, of those six selections, what's the most noteworthy for you there? I think Miles Murphy sliding all the way to 29. Like, we were this is the guy we were projecting top 10. That seems like ad nauseum for two months at the end of the season through November, December, most of January. And he just got leapfrogged by all these players that are a little bit more exciting right now. It's Senior Bowl Buzz and the Keon Whites of the World and Drew Sanders and don't sleep on Miles Murphy. This guy's still, I think, a top end of the first round type of pick, and I'm not really sure why he slides. It's just at the expense of other guys seeming more intriguing at this point. I don't know. We'll see, man. I, I've, I've, I was kind of hinting at that throughout the course of the, the latter stages of the fall. It was like, I don't know if we're talking if we're going to see Murphy like go oh, top seven, top eight, top nine. Like I don't know if he's that guy. Um, but we'll see. It only takes one team, and we'll see what the combine looks like for Murphy and all that. But uh, it was interesting, I think, and notable, uh, certainly, that he had him there. Um, and then I would look at the other side of the coin. I mentioned Cansey going that high. Again, like Mel Kuyper, he, he's no dummy. Lance Zerline, he's no dummy. Like, if those guys are talking about Cansey this high, I think that's notable. It's something that we should definitely be earmarking. Like, uh, consider the pit defensive tackle at this stage uh, of the NFL draft. So, um, something to keep in mind there, certainly, with him on the defense. I think Miles Murphy's ready to play yesterday for, right. the, for the NFL. This guy is a really good looking player. Reminds me a lot of like a JPP. Yeah, okay. He plays high energy. He wants to beat your face in at the point of attack. Going to be a really good run defender on early downs. And yeah, he might fall into a couple sacks too. Yeah, the question I guess would be like, is he JPP? He's not going to be tw- sexy. Is he, like, is he 2010 JPP? Yeah, I don't know if he's going to be a double-digit sack guy. He's going to be a guy I think like NFL guys and film guys 
will enjoy. Yeah. Be like a Den- like a Danico Autry type, right? Just straight bulldog in there, beating people's faces in, being a three down player. But you got to watch the film to appreciate him, kind of yeah, guy. So I, if you drop him in the top ten, he doesn't get ten sacks for you. Yeah, they're gonna be calling him a bust. Yep, that's and that's the the question I think is you start yeah. talking about like value and uh, like the return on investment. You, can you get you know Danico Autry was undrafted, right? Like can right, you exactly. find that yeah, kind of guy right. later? Uh, I guess that will be the question there with Murphy. Um, so I was kind of alluding to this earlier. It's uh, I'm, I'm going to love this mock draft season, man. When you talk, like, right now through, like, mid-March, right after the Combine, I think that's when things will start to crystallize. You know, media people that are in the know will have started to talk with uh, team officials. Boards are starting to be really kind of crystallized, that standpoint, around the NFL. Um, you know, I, right now, it really is boggle. Every time you open up one of these bad boys, you know, names are shuffled all around. Uh, there are some fun ones added in every time. This one is no different. Um, so I want to ask you, is there, like, a favorite addition to this mock draft, someone that we don't normally normally typically see in the top 31 we're gonna start calling this segment mock draft boggle yeah i think i'm, I think I'm coining to, that too yeah, much right. we need like a little jingle or something to set up the segment we'll get, get we'll get that. we'll get pk we'll get peter kelly working on that yeah <laughs> uh, my favorite addition is seeing three tight ends in the first round and luke musgrave is the first off the board yeah. uh, michael mayer and dalton kincaid round, rounding it out with darnell washington kind of being the odd man out probably sliding the day two there but three tight ends in round one it sounds pretty foreign actually happened five years ago, 2017 as well. So it's been known to happen from time to time through different cycles. And those three, I think, are warranting some first-round discussion. I'm a little bit cooler on Musgrave than the consensus right now, a little bit more of a back-end-of-day-two type of player. But Michael Mayer and... Dalton Kincaid, I think, are, are exceptional prospects. One of only those, only one of those three guys from seventeen made it to the second contract with their first team. Evan Ingram was let go by the Giants. Uh, O.J. Howard let go by the Bucks. Um, David Njoko did sign, uh, did resign with uh, Cleveland and had a good year, had a career so, year. Interesting, uh, year interesting five-year careers for those guys. Yeah, no question. Um, but even if you look at a lot of, you know, T.J. Hawkinson d- traded uh, from the from the Detroit Lions, not picked up on that second contract. It's that's a, a fascinating discussion at that position. Yeah, the, the Jags hit on a bunch of great free agent signings yeah. whether yeah. it's Arden Key or Evan Ingram guys like that I think those one-year deals just made those guys a lot of money uh for what Jacksonville showed them uh also for me like John Michael Schmitz the center from Minnesota at 20 to Seattle like you know watching him in the yeah. summer it felt like day, this, this is one of the better players in this in this class and I thought the best center in the in the in the country uh, so just to see him at that 20 I thought was big we talked about that was that the only uh, interior did he still have uh, Osiris in there I thought yeah, he had Osiris to, to Washington at 16 okay so there you go which Washington that's gonna be a tough one there because essentially you're saying Anthony Richardson we're okay on it Right. You know, and not going with that quarterback, that exciting, you know, quarterback of the future and saying, no, let's go guard. Yep. Uh, I know they need some O-line help. They need that Brandon Sure for the future, but I couldn't see the fan base really loving that one. Well, and that's the thing, you know, as the the as the veteran quarterback market starts to uh, you know, define itself, you know, where does Derek Carr end up? You know, does Aaron Rodgers get traded? All of that stuff as start as the the dust starts to settle there. You know, does Carolina get their quarterback there? Does uh, do the, the Raiders get a quarterback there? Now, does Anthony Richardson fall? Does Will Levis fall? Uh, you know, does that make things easier for Washington at that point? I feel like we're going to be game? playing against Mike White. Twice right. next year. Yeah, for right. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, most interesting nugget from Lance. You know, that's a good thing too. When you're talking about a guy like Lance, is he's going to give his own thoughts, but also he's going to give some of the nuggets that he's hearing from around the NFL. For me, and this was just kind of b- bouncing off your point. Um, he talked about the Dalton Kincaid pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's the tight end from Utah. He goes to the Jaguars at 24, and Lance mentioned in there. Quite frankly, I'm not sure Kincaid makes it to the spot. So uh, clearly, the, from what he's hearing and what he's seeing with his eyes, uh, he thinks Kincaid 
potentially a top 20-ish, top 23-ish pick here uh, for the uh, in this draft class. Yeah, and everything I'm hearing, he's going to fly off uh, in, in the top 20. So right where Luke Musgrave went to the Packers and the teens there, that could be Kincaid country when it's all said and done. So I'm looking at Bijan Robinson going 27th overall to the Buffalo Bills. Love that pick, adding some more firepower around Josh Allen. I'm assuming Singletary's gone in free agency, but they have James Cook and Naheem Hines, some nice pieces back there. But the blurb, Bijan is his fourth-rated prospect, but going 27th off the board. Yep, positional I think you're going to see that quite a bit, and I bet a team plucks him way earlier than the 27th overall pick. If you think he is a legit, elite, ready-to-produce running back, like we've seen guys taken in the top 10 before, whether it's the Zeke's or Barkley's or Christian McCaffrey's, I think he's just as good as those prospects. So, you know, don't, don't look at the positional, you know, uh, you know, value that it, he must fall because he's a running back. He must go in Brees Hall country, you know, cause that's the way it went last year. I think Bijan's going to go in the top end of round one. Yeah, especially if you're talking about this class being a little bit, you know, uh, lower in terms of that blue chip talent, like, you know, if you're sitting there at 21 or at 17 and there's a blue chip guy there and he's that much better than everybody else, like the, the running back uh, discussion is going to be had. Um, it's just a matter of who's willing to uh, to make Especially that call. With some teams like, you know, Philly with two picks, Detroit with two picks, you know, maybe a contender, you know, picking a little bit higher than normal, you know, some teams like that. So yep. I expect him to go uh, right in that 10 to 20 range. All right, Ben, uh, we saw a bunch of na- new names in this list, which means some people fell out of round one. You love tracking this. Uh, th- th- the top three names left off of this mock draft. I think Jameer Gibbs is going to find himself at the end of round one, uh, being that second running, running back off the board to a contending team. He's a three-down back with some exciting ability in the pass game. Some receivers that fell, Smith and Jigba, you know, Zay Flowers, Josh Downs, Jaden Reed, Probably going to end up going on day two, so it's appropriate. I expect some of these tackles to get bumped up, though, Fran. You know, Dewan Jones and Darnell Wright, I think, are going to be intriguing propositions for a lot of those teams in the 20s. A lot of playoff contenders that can still use some old line help. Bump all those tackles up. Bump the old line up. They need offensive line in the NFL, particularly on some contending teams. I mean, just look what the Bengals went through again for another year. So you can see a team like that. You know, Brian Brezzi seems like he's been falling out of first-round love. He's another one. Van Ness yeah. not in there. No Ooh. Emmanuel Forbes. Seen some a lot of Emmanuel Forbes in the first round pretty consistently. Him and Cam Smith falling off. And Darnell Washington. I know three tight ends went in round one. Darnell's the odd man out. I could see Darnell, another guy, maybe falling into love uh, with the, one of those late round one teams. So you said, ben, you said Ben Ness was not in there. I didn't even catch that one. No, 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 oh, Ben Ness. Wow. That's a big one. Yeah, that's a, that's a notable one. Correct. The Bresley yep. one, I think you know, with the medical stuff, I think that, there'll be questions there. The Van Ness one, uh, that that's interesting. He's we'll, a tough we, prospect to figure out. To right. be honest with you, he has a very interesting career at Iowa. Inside outside guy, no starts. Very hulking power. Where do you play him? He plays a variety of techniques. Literally plays stand-up edge one play and then, like, no shade the next play. So a little bit of a unique scheme and usage at Iowa. But once we get into this offseason process, whew, he's going to look good in Indy, let me tell you. Well, speaking of, uh, Indy just around the corner. You and I will be uh, uh, out there at the scouting combine. Ben, thanks so much for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. We will talk to you again next week. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Mm-hmm. 
Well, joining us this week here for Mr. Relevant, a guy who's been on the show a number of times before, that's Emery Hunt. You can follow him on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. Uh, check out his work over uh, CBS Sports HQ, uh, some of my old stomping grounds, the, the College Draft Podcast with our friend uh, Ross Tucker. A ton of work. Emery's everywhere. Emery, thanks for joining us here on the, or on the Journey to the Draft Podcast presented by LifeBrand. Always a pleasure, Fran. Looking forward to talking ball with you, man. Well, you were uh, you were very active on the All Star Game circuit. Uh, how many games you you went to? Like what, five, six, seven of these All Star games uh, here this uh, this uh, this circuit? Seven All Star games, man. Starting December and just wrapped up with the Senior Bowl. That is wild. And well, I got uh, one more to go. One more to go. The HBCU Legacy Bowl, right. February twentieth, down in New Orleans. So you're going right from there to uh, to Indy. I'll be. I'll come. I won't say for the game, so I'll come back that Friday morning. And then head out to Indy, I think, Monday evening. You are a madman, man. No one grinds like you, uh, you know, in this uh, in this NFL draft space. So I appreciate you. Uh, it's taking a few for us here uh, this afternoon. Um, with that in mind, I want to do. I do want to ask you about the last two games that you did attend: the Shrine Bowl out in Las Vegas, and then the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. We'll start uh, with your trip to Vegas for the for the Shrine Bowl, and I want to get your thoughts on a player we talked about earlier in the show: Boston College wide receiver Zay Flowers, and um, you know, regarded as probably the number one prospect out there uh, at the game. What are your thoughts on Zay? How do you think he transitions to the NFL? You know, I think he transitions rather well. What was interesting was that the first day of practice at the Shrine game, he didn't practice. He was out there in sweats. And then the rumors and the talk was, well, he's going to do – he's going to practice the next day, and he's going to do everything outside uh, of involving a defense. So he was just going to do all the individual drills, and that was hmm. going to be it. But somebody must have talked to him over the, you know, overnight, and it got to the point where – the next day, he did everything, and it was almost instantly you saw, wow, this guy clearly is a class above everyone else out here in terms of explosiveness, in terms of his his movement, his fluidity. He looked like a pro receiver already. The shocking part was that he measured in at 5'9", 195, yeah. and I say shocking because it's not like his size was ever an issue coming into this week. Um, so he, I say that to say he played above his size all throughout his career, but it was shocking to see it on paper. Like, wow, he's only 5'9 and a half, 195 pounds. Right, yeah, and that's what we talked about that earlier with Greg. That will be a question for him uh, moving forward, you know, through the rest of the process. But um, you know, going into these uh, these All Star Game events, you, know, you and I, we both do plenty of work, plenty of film study uh, on players, whether it's for the NFL draft or for our college football coverage. Um, so you know, you have your notions going in, but then there are guys that kind of outperform that and move the needle for you and say, oh, you know, maybe this guy's a little bit better uh, than I thought. Uh, this is a tough question. Is there one guy that moved the needle for you most from your trip to Vegas? I would say Trey Dean uh, out of Florida. Love and, it. and, you know, here's someone that coming into the, you know, the season um, and throughout the season, you kind of viewed him as a thumper, downhill guy, you know, maybe a combo safety type that that is great versus the run. But out there in, in uh, Vegas, you kind of saw him be more rangy. You saw the speed and explosiveness. You saw him match up and, and cover rather well. Um, and he was the one that really kind of, you know, had me viewing him differently coming out. I mean, outside of the small college guys, you know, I, I was sure. very familiar with, with Caleb Murphy and, and B.J. Thompson out of Stephen F. Austin, and Murphy was a Ferris State guy. Um, you know, but Dean, to me, was the one that really uh, stood out because he was someone that you kind of saw him now – at a different position. Maybe he can be one of these big matchup, you mm -hmm. know, defenders that can play on the outside at corner in certain schemes, also can play the deep third, also can be that traditional, 
strong safety that you need, um, a move piece on the back end. And, and I, always, I always bring this up because I thought this was rather fascinating and cool, was his last rep in team period uh, on third, on Sunday's practice, which was my last day there, you know, before practice was over, it was wrapping up. He he comes out for his last rep, and he goes on one end of the sideline that they're on and daps up every defender on the team. And it was like, wow, that's pretty dope. Like, you know, just something that you notice from being there. Like, you know, he didn't have to do that. He just came over and just got his water and just kind of chilled. But now he kind of he went down the line and made sure he shook the hands of everyone that was on that defense. I thought that was some above the X's and O's type stuff that scouts probably pay attention to and say, wow, that's that shows leadership. I love that. And I, the reason why I said I, I loved the uh, you bringing him up because he was a guy that I hadn't had circled going into the week that I was interested to see how he performed. You know, He played as a freshman uh, for the Gators. He was an outside corner. Then they shifted him inside the nickel for a couple years, and he made the move to safety over the last couple. And, uh, you know, the, the star kind of uh, lost a little bit of its luster uh, with Trey Dean. But, you know, this is a guy – you mentioned, like, that matchup capability. I, that has so much value in today's league with it being a sub-package. So even if you don't view him – as a, oh he's an every down shutdown corner or maybe he's not uh, you know an every down safety like there's value in saying oh okay well this guy could be a big nickel defender or this guy can be a dime defender and a tight end matchup player you know at his size with his coverage background there's a, there's a there's a a lot of value placed on that kind of player in the NFL so to hear that he had a, a good week in Vegas um, makes me feel good because all right well now I feel even better about what he can present to the NFL. It's a week-to-week league, Fran. We all know this. And, you know, what you deploy depends on who you're facing. And so you're facing someone, let's say it's a, you know, you touched on it. If there's a tight end that's the dominant ball handler in in their offense, hey, Dean, get over there and cover him. If there's these big physical wide receivers on both sides of the field, okay, now we got someone that's big and physical that can match up. If this is a run-dominant team, hey, we can sacrifice him and play him more like a uh, alley defender, overhang defender, you know, weak side linebacker type deal. Um, and and that makes it more valuable because it's, what, 45 on game day? So yep. you need to be able to do a lot, and guys like him are worth their weight in gold. And I'm glad he was able to perform and show that versatility out there uh, in Vegas. Yeah, it's funny. The Eagles are getting ready to play the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, and a guy that I remember thinking the same thing about when he was coming out uh, was Legarius Sneed. Now, Sneed went to the combine and ran like four three, but Sneed played all three positions in the secondary over the course of his career at La Tech. Um, you know, I kind of view Dean as, as similar and similar body types, right? Um, but uh, again, Sneed went and blew the doors off the combine workout in that way. We'll see if Dean is able to do that here in just a few weeks. Um, last question for you about the Shrine Bowl. Uh, not sure how much of the reporting you've taken in, um, you know, but just in terms of like overall analysis nationally about the game and about the week of practice, is there a guy that you feel like is just isn't getting enough love for what he did out in the field in Vegas? You know, not one guy in particular. I'm a name a guy, okay. but it, it's been a common theme that I've seen all throughout these all-star games. Hmm. Uh, Eric Scott, the corner from Southern Miss. And every all-star game that I've been to this cycle that has had a Southern Miss corner in it has performed rather well. So you got to give a shout-out to Chad Williams, the corners coach at Southern Miss, a guy I remember playing against uh, when I was in college, when they had that, when Southern Miss was like the Baltimore Ravens of college football, like no one wanted to play Southern Miss because their defense was so ridiculous. Adelius Thomas, um, Derek Nix, all these guys mm-hmm. back, Chad Williams. And so when you look at what he's coaching and teaching, I'm not surprised. 
Eric Scott had a solid week out there in um, in Vegas. And then you go to the Tropical Bowl where I was. The two corners out there had tremendous weeks. And then you go to the uh, NFL PA game, Southern Miss Corner, had a really good week. So it's like, damn, it's between Southern Miss and BYU players, um, I don't think they had any BYU players here at the Shrine Bowl. They did at the Senior Bowl. Right. But every All-Star game that had a BYU player performed well. Mm. Well, you talk about the Senior Bowl there, a good transition. Uh, they had the uh, the running back Tyler Algier uh, last year. And I do want to ask you about running backs at the Senior Bowl. It's a position that's near and dear to your heart, playing it at the college level. Uh, who's and There's been a lot of buzz about the running backs in Mobile. It could be tough at times to be able to gauge how good these guys are as runners in the week of practice because it's not, uh, you know, there's no live sessions. But uh, who was your favorite running back from either squad uh, down there in Mobile? Who shocked you the most? It, it was – I'm going to go chalk here and talk about Ty J. Spears because he sure. had the best week. Um, you know, this is – it was awesome for him because this is someone that's coming off of a dynamic game against USC in the Cotton Bowl and showed up and showed out at the Senior Bowl. You know, we knew he can catch the football. We knew he had great vision, great explosiveness. All of those things were on display uh, in Mobile, and he had the best week, you know, and, and that's something that holds weight. So now he's stringing together a stacking – back-to-back outstanding performances. He goes from an outstanding season to an outstanding conference championship game, outstanding bowl game uh, in a, against a big team, outstanding senior bowl week. So now his next step is to go to the combine and bust a 4-3. If he does that, then you know you could start to see people uh, look at him differently um, and not judge him by the, the fantastic Green Wave helmet, but just judge him by what he does on the field. Um, and start you'll start to see people talk about maybe him as an RB3 and what is growing to be a ridiculous running back class. Yeah, it's a, it's got a really fun group, and Spears certainly one of the names that you know is in that. Everyone talks about Bijan and uh, Jameer Gibbs, and rightfully so. But that next tier, it really feels like Spears is kind of vaulting to be that next name um, from that selection. There, uh, I ask same question I asked for you for the scene, for the Shrine. I want to ask you for Mobile. Who's the guy who moved the needle for you most? Who's the guy that kind of impressed you based off what your thoughts were going into the week? You know, here's the thing, and, and you know this because we've been talking for forever. Um, I start my draft process at the All-Star Games because I'm covering NFL and college football all throughout the season. So this is usually my first um, viewing of these guys. And so when I see something, I, I'm impressed by it. But then you go back and watch the film this month, February, and, and pour through it and make sure what you saw wasn't a lie um, or if this guy was a practice player. Mm. But John Michael Schmidt was just phenomenal, the center from – Minnesota, just completely blown away with how dominant he was and not just dominant, but dominant in what we know to be a defensive dominant drill, the offensive defensive line one-on-one. Yep. Dominant there, didn't allow any pushback, didn't allow any um, you know, any pressure, and then goes into 907 and team versus team and does the same thing. So I thought he had a fantastic week, and there was someone that really just jumped out as an offensive lineman just jumping out and leaping out at you, and not the tackles that everybody loves to focus on, but the interior offensive line. He jumped out, and I would also say Carl Brooks um, mm. from Bowling Green. When you look at Carl Brooks on paper, it says 6'3", 303, and your football mind thinks 3-tech. But when you watch him 
perform, you've seen him as a five. You've seen him as a four-eye. You've seen him, you know, on the edge. You can see him being a big elephant in the Seahawks defense, that elephant in they love to use. This dude can play all across the front, and that's someone that, hey, I know everyone talks about Jalen Carter, and rightfully so, um, and Brian Brissett, and rightfully so, but if you don't get those two guys, don't pass on Carl Brooks because this dude plays football. At any point, you want someone like that on your defense, and he was outstanding. Why am I struggling to think of the uh, the defensive lineman who played for the Raiders, I want to say like the early 2010s, uh, who was like a big end, had that athleticism, was like, oh, man, this, this guys off the edge shouldn't be you know, pushing 300 pounds uh, and coming off the way that he does. Um, but uh, Carl Brooks, it was a guy I thought, you know, watching him at Bowling Green, it was like, well, this guy's 300 pounds and lining up off the edge, and he's beating people with speed and with power. Uh, he, he was just a really fun player. And I'm glad that you brought up John Michael Smith because you know, studying him in the summer, I loved his tape and thought, this, guy, this guy's a starting center all day uh, in the NFL. But, you know, you know how mock drafts go, man. Like, people aren't buzzing about this guy. So then it's been uh, months since I've watched John Michael Schmitz, and I'm like, oh, maybe I just had, like, a good cup of coffee that morning, and I was just, I was just, I was just in a great mood, and I, I, I inflated the grade a little bit. Um, especially going into an all-star, all-star game, Sergey, you mentioned, like, O-line, D-line, one-on-ones, like, that's geared more towards the defensive lineman. And I view Schmitz as more of like a, you know, he's, he's a slug offensive lineman. He's a guy that he's not known for, like, his athletic athleticism and his light feet so if he's isolated uh one-on-one like I don't know that that's a great matchup so to hear that he did well in those drills now I'm starting to say all right like check the box check the box check the box check the box why isn't this guy being talked about uh, as a first rounder uh we mentioned it earlier in the show um he was in Lance Zerline's mock draft uh coming out of the senior bowl so to hear you bring him up as well uh that's that's good news I, I feel for his draft stock yeah, it's the thing. You know, guys go in and perform well in individual drills. We've seen this done time and time again um, where these wide receivers are running these mad bohemian routes in one-on-ones and everyone going oohs and ahs. The guy that really stood out and shut all that down was Darius Rush, uh, the corner from South mm-hmm. Carolina. You know, and when I say lockdown, I mean lockdown where he was running the routes for the receivers and picking off passes. How often do you see interceptions in wide receiver defensive back one-on-ones? You don't. He had, I think, three interceptions, had multiple times where the quarterback had to eat the football because he ran a route. And we're talking about watching the hips of the receiver, being patient, knowing where he is on the football field. If I'm taking inside position away, I'm not going to be fooled by any inside move you give me because you're only going outside. So the football IQ – the situational awareness, the spatial awareness, and the ball skills, to me, I think that's someone that had arguably the best week uh, in terms of perception and what you thought about him. Or You love this teammate, but then you know you yep. probably just didn't uh, pay him any mind. But to go there and do that in that drill and have the week he did um, and showed the ability, the athleticism, all the stuff you want to see, I think he probably pushed himself up in, in you know a round or two based off practice and based because now he's going to have a bunch of scouts go back to the tape and look at it with a different lens and, and how well he handled coverage on the opposite side. If he, and if he goes to the combine and like tests well, uh, forget it. Uh, he's 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 going high, uh, and that's that's going to be a big thing uh, with Darius Rush. Last question for you, and it's the same way we wrapped up the Shrine Bowl discussion. Who deserves deserves more love? Who, who's the guy you just haven't heard enough buzz about uh, coming out of Mobile? You know, that's a great question. I probably will say Trey Palmer. Um, Trey Palmer out of Nebraska. People forget he was an LSU uh, commit signee, played at LSU. 
he has a lot of that same dog in him that a Jamar Chase has. He has that fluidity within his game that you can see him playing anywhere across the uh, formation. So he was someone on offense that stood out. I think he's a sleeper from a big power five school that not enough people are talking about. It's hard to call him a sleeper, and he played in a, in a senior bowl. But the same thing can be said for Marte Mapu, the, the linebacker from Sacramento State, who I saw thrive at the NFLPA game. He was impressive all week there. got the call up to the senior bowl. And that's someone that instinctively plays like a guy that has offensive experience, which he does. I think he was a quarterback or a receiver. Now he's playing, you know, on defense. He measured it as 6'3", 217. Some teams may view him as a strong safety, but he's playing linebacker, was lockstep with these guys in one-on-ones, another hard drill for linebackers, and also in 7-on-7, getting his drops where he needed to be, making plays on the ball, just complete understanding of, offensive structure to passing game and what offenses are trying to do to him. So I just thought his week, his two all-star game appearances were, were phenomenal. Lamar Houston was the uh, the defensive end I was thinking of uh, with the uh, with the Raiders. It reminded me of uh, of Carl Brooks. Where um, Emery, this has been awesome, man. Great to catch up with you, uh, and we'll see you just a, a couple weeks away from our trip to uh, Indianapolis for the combine. Thanks for joining us once again here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. So great stuff this week from Emery Hunt, Ben Fennell, and Greg Cosell. We'll be back uh, with Ben and Greg next week here on the show. Again, we've got Super Bowl Sunday this week. We'll be back for a regular edition with uh, Dane Brugler as well. Uh, Next week, we're gearing up. The Combine just around the corner, so we'll be breaking things down. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned right here on the channel. The Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.